You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Thornton, Miranda, New Zealand. The Exile of Time by Ray Cummings, Chapter 14. What has gone before? There came a girl's scream and muffled, frantic words. Let me out! Let me out! Then we saw her white face at the basement window. This, which was the start of the extraordinary incidents, occurred on the night of June the 8th to the 9th, 1935. Larry and George from 1935, Mary from 1777, all are caught up in the treacherous Tews revolt of the robots in the time world of 2930. My name is George Rankin, and with my friend Larry Gregory, we rescued the girl who was imprisoned near the desert house on Patton Place, New York City. We thought at first that she was demented, this strangely beautiful girl, in long white satin dress, white powdered wig, and a black beauty patch on her cheek. She said she had come from the year 1777, that her father was Major Atwood of General Washington's staff. Her name was Mistress Mary Atwood. It was a strange story she had to tell us. A cage of shining metal bars had materialized in her garden, and a mechanical man had come from it, a robot ten feet tall. It had captured her, brought her to 1935, left her, and vanished, saying it would return. We went back to that house on Patton Place. The cage did return, and Larry and I fought the strange monster. We were worsted, and the robot seized Mary and me, and whirled us back into time, in its room-like cage of shining bars. Larry recovered his senses, and rushed into Patton Place, and there encountered another smaller time-travelling cage, and was himself taken off in it. But the occupants of Larry's smaller cage were friendly. They were a man and a girl of 2930 A.D. The girl was the Princess Tina, and the man Hull, a young scientist of that age. With an older scientist, a cripple named Tew, Hull had invented time vehicles. We had heard of Tew before. Mary Atwood had known him in the year 1777. He had made love to her, and when repulsed had threatened vengeance against her father and, in 1932, a cripple named Tew had gotten into trouble with the police and had vowed some strange weird vengeance against the city officials and the city itself. More than that, the very house on Patton Place from which we had rescued Mary Atwood was owned by this man named Tew, who was wanted by the police but could not be found. Tew's vengeance was presently demonstrated, for in June 1935 a horde of robots appeared, with flashing swords and red and violet light beams, the mechanical men spread about the city, massacring the people. They brought midsummer snow with their frigid red rays, and then, in a moment, torrid heat and boiling rain. Three days and nights of terror ensued. Then the robots silently withdrew into the house on Patton Place and vanished. The New York City of 1935 lay wrecked. The vengeance of Chew against it was complete. Larry, going back in time now, was told by Harl and Princess Tina that a robot named Migul, a mechanism almost human from the time world of 2930, had stolen the larger cage and was running amuck through time. 
The strange world of 2930 was described to Larry, a world in which nearly human mechanisms did all the work. These robots, diabolically developed, were upon the verge of revolt. The world of machinery was ready to assail its human masters. Miguel was an insubordinate robot, and Harl and Tina were chasing it. They whirled Larry back in time, and they saw the larger cage stop at a night in the year 1777, the same night from which Mary Atwood had been stolen. They stopped there. Harl remained in the little cage to guard it, while Tina and Larry went outside. It was night, and the house of Major Atwood was nearby. British redcoats had come to capture the colonial officer, but all they found was his murdered body lying in the garden. Miguel the robot had chained Mary and me to the door of his cage, had briefly stopped in the garden and killed the Major, and then had departed with us. We now went back to the beginning of time, for the other cage was again chasing us. Reaching the beginning, we swept forward, and the whole vast panorama of the events of time passed in review before us. Suddenly we found that Chew himself was hiding in our cage. We had not known it, nor had Migul, our robot captor. Chew was hiding here, not trusting Migul to carry out his orders. We realized now that all these events were part of the wild vengeance of this hideously repulsive cripple. Miguel was a mere machine, carrying out Tew's orders. Tew, in 2930, was masquerading as a friend of the government, but in reality it was he who was fomenting the revolt of the robots. Tew now took command of our cage. The smaller cage had only Harl in it, for Larry and Tina were marooned in 1777. Harl was chasing us. Tew stopped us in the year 762 A.D., we found that the space around us now was a forest recently burned. Five hundred feet from us was the space which held Harl's cage. Presently it materialized. Mary and I were helpless. We stood watching Chew as he crouched on the floor of our cage near its open doorway. A ray cylinder was in his hand, with a wire running to a battery in the cage corner. He had forced Mary and me to stand at the window where Hull would see us and be lured to approach. From Hull's cage, five hundred feet across the blackened forest glade of that day of 762, Hull came cautiously forward. Abruptly, Tew fired. His cylinder shot a horizontal beam of intense actinic light. It struck Hull full, and he fell. Swiftly his body decomposed, and soon in the sunlight of the glade lay a sagging heap of black and white garments, enveloping the skeleton of what a moment before had been a man. Chapter 14 A Very Human Princess That night in 1777, near the home of the murdered Major Atwood, brought to Larry the most strangely helpless feeling he had ever experienced. He crouched with Tina beneath a tree in a corner of the field, gazing with horror at the little moonlit space by the fence where their time-travelling vehicle should have been, but now was gone. Marooned in 1777! Larry had not realised how desolately remote this revolutionary New York was from the great future city in which he had lived. The same space, but what a gulf between him and 1935! 
what a barrier of time impassable without the shining cage they crouch whispering but why would he have gone tina i don't know hal is very careful so something or someone must have passed along here and he left rather than cause a disturbance he will return of course i hope so whispered larry fervently we are marooned here tina heavens it will be the end of us we must wait he will return they huddled in the shadow of the tree behind them there was a continued commotion at the atwood home and presently the mounted british officers came thudding past on the road riding for headquarters at the bowling green to report the strange atwood murder the night wore on would hull return if not to-night then probably to-morrow or to-morrow night in spite of his endeavour to stop correctly he could so easily miss this night these particular hours Harl had met his death as i have described we never knew exactly what he did of course after leaving the night of seventeen seventy seven it seems probable however that some passer-by startled him into flashing away into time then he must have seen with his instrument evidence of the other cage passing and impulsively followed it to his death in the burned forest of the year seven six two larry and tina waited the dawn presently began paling the stars, and still Harl did not come. The little space by the fence corner was empty. "'It will be soon daylight,' Larry whispered. "'We can't stay here. We'll be discovered.' They were anachronisms in this world, misfits, futuristic beings who dared not show themselves. Larry touched his companion the slight little creature who was a princess in her far distant future age, but to Larry now she was just a girl. Frightened, Tina? A little? He laughed softly. It would be fearful to be marooned here permanently, wouldn't it? You don't think Hull would desert us? Purposely, I mean. No, of course not. Then we'll expect him tomorrow night. He wouldn't stop in the daylight, I guess. I don't think so. He would reason that I would not expect him. Then we must find shelter and food and be here tomorrow night. It seems long to us, Tina, but in the cage is just an instant, just a trifle different setting of the controls. She smiled her pale, stern smile. You have learned quickly, Larry. That is true. A sudden emotion swept him. His hand found hers and her fingers answered the pressure of his own. Here, in this remote time-world, they felt abruptly drawn together. He murmured, "'Tina, you are—' But he never finished. The cage was coming. They stood tense, watching the fence-corner where, in the flat dawn-light, the familiar misty shadow was gathering. Hull was returning to them. The cage flashed silently into being. They stood, peering, ready to run to it. The door slid aside. But it was not Harl who came out. It was Tugh, the cripple. He stood in the doorway, a thick-set, barrel-chested figure of a man in a wide leather jacket, a broad black belt, and short flaring leather pantaloons. Tugh! exclaimed Tina. The cripple advanced. Princess, is it you? He was very wary. His gaze shot at Larry and back to Tina. And who is this?
hideously repulsive fellow larry thought this jew he saw his shriveled bent legs crooked hips and wide thick shoulders set askew a goblin in a leather jerkin his head was over large with a bulging white forehead and a mane of scraggly black hair shot with grey but larry could not miss the intellectuality marking his heavy-jowled face the keenness of his dark-eyed gaze these were instant impressions tina had drawn larry forward where is hull she demanded imperiously how have you come to have this cage chew princess i have much to tell he answered and his gaze roved the field but it is dangerous here i am glad i have found you hull sent me to this night but i struck it late come tina and your strange-looking friend it impressed larry then and many times afterward that hugh's gaze at him was mistrustful wary come larry said tina and again she demanded of chu i ask you where is hal at home safe at home princess he gestured towards major atwood's house which now in the growing daylight showed more plainly under its shrouding trees that space off there holds our other cage as you know tina you and hal were pursuing that other cage yes she agreed they had stopped at the doorway where chu stood slightly inside larry whispered what does this mean tina chu said miguel the mechanism is running wild in the other cage but you and hal knew that yes she answered and she said softly to larry we will go but larry watch this chu hal and i have never trusted him chu's manner was a combination of the self-confidence of a man of standing and the deference due his young princess he was closing the door and saying miguel that crazy insubordinate machine captured a man from nineteen thirty five and a girl from seventeen seventy seven but they are safe he did not harm them hal is with me in our world chu yes at home we have miguel chained hal captured and subdued him chu was at the controls may i take you and this friend of yours home princess she whispered to larry i think it is best don't you larry nodded she murmured be watchful larry then louder yes chu take us chu was bending over the controls ready now yes said tina larry's senses reeled momentarily as the cage flashed off into time it was a smooth story which chu had to tell them and he told it smoothly his dark eyes swung from tina to larry i talked with that other young man from your world george rankin he said his name was that he is somewhat like you dress much the same and talks little the girl calls herself mary atwood he went on and told them an elaborate glib story all of which was a lie it did not wholly deceive larry and tina yet they could not then prove it false the gist of it was that mary and i were with hal and the subdued miguel in twenty nine thirty it is strange that hal did not come for us himself said tina chu's gaze was imperturbable as he answered 
He is a clever young man, but he cannot be expected to handle these controls with my skill, Princess, and he knows it, so he sent me. You see, he wanted very much to strike just this night and this hour, so as not to keep you waiting. He added, I am glad to have you back. Things are not well at home, Princess. This insubordinate adventure of Migul's has been bad for the other mechanisms. News of it has spread, and the revolt is very near. What are we to do? I cannot say, but I do know we do not like your absence. The trip which Larry and Tina now took to 2930 A.D. consumed, to their consciousness of the passing of time, some three hours. They discovered that they were hungry, and Tew produced food and drink. Larry spent much of the time with Tina at the window, gazing at the changing landscape, while she told him of the events which to her were history, the recorded things on the time-scroll which separated her world and his. Tew busied himself about the vehicle and left them much to themselves. They had ample opportunity to discuss him and his story of Harl. It must be remembered that Larry had no knowledge of Tew, save the story which Alton had told of a cripple named Tew in New York in 1933-34, to and Mary Atwood's mention of the coincidence of the Tew she knew in 1777. But Tina had known this Tew for years. Though she, like Hull, had never liked him, nevertheless he was a trusted and influential man in her world. Proof of his activities in other time worlds, there was none so far from Tina's viewpoint, nor did Larry and Tina know as yet of the devastation of New York in 1935, nor of the murder of Major Atwood. The capture of Mary and me, the fight with the robot in the backyard of the house on Patton Place, in all these incidents of the bandit cage, only Migul had figured. Migul, an insubordinate, crazy mechanism running amok. Yet upon Larry and Tina was a premonition that Tew, here with them now and so suavely friendly, was their real enemy. I wouldn't trust him, Larry whispered, any further than I can see him. He's planning something, but I don't know what. But perhaps, and this I have thought often, Larry, perhaps it is his aspect. He looks so repulsive. Larry shook his head. He does, for a fact, but I don't mean that. What Mary Atwood told me of the true she knew described the fellow, and so did Alton describe him. And in 1934 he murdered a girl. Don't forget that, Tina. He, or someone who looked remarkably like him, and had the same name. But they knew that the best thing they could do now was to get to 2930. Larry wanted to join me again, and Tew maintained I was there. Well, they would soon find out. As they passed the shadowy world of 1935, a queer emotion gripped Larry. This was his world, and he was speeding past it to the future. He realized then that he wanted to be assured of my safety and that of Mary Atwood and Hull, but what lay closest to his heart was the welfare of the Princess Tina. Princess? He had never thought of her as that, save that it was a title she carried. She seemed just a small, strangely solemn, white-faced girl. He could not conceive returning to his own world and having her speed on, leaving him forever. His thoughts winged ahead. He touched Tina as they stood together at the window, gazing out at the shadowy New York City. It was now 1940. Tina, he said, if our friends are safe in your world, if only they are, Larry. 
if your people there are in trouble in danger you will let me help she turned abruptly to regard him and he saw a mist of tenderness in the dark pools of her eyes in history larry i have often been interested in reading of a strange custom outgrown by us and supposed to be meaningless yet maybe it is not i mean she was suddenly breathless i mean even a princess as they call me likes to to be human i want to i mean i've often wondered and you're so dear i want to try it was it like this show me she reached up put her arms about his neck and kissed him end of chapter 14